Guys, all this, uh, all this year, we have been looking at not only the Christian faith, but we've been looking at God. And we have been really trying to focus on how categorically different God is. You know, we had our nine o'clock discipleship hour this morning, and we talked about this briefly, but that you can divide all things in existence into two basic categories. Everything that has been, is, and ever will be. God and everything else. There is just something categorically different about him. And here's the thing. When you are born of God, something of who God is is going to start to work in you. And it is going to make you different as well. There's no getting around this. It's an inevitability. If God is at work in your life, God is doing a work in your life. And that is going to make you different too. God is going to rub off on you. Are you with me? It's not just how you live. Oh, that's important. Let's not underestimate that. And we talked about that all last fall. But it's also how you think. It's also how you view reality. It's also how you see and believe what's true in this world and even true about him. And sometimes, guys, that is going to just, bottom line, make you weird. Don't be surprised if what you believe seems like foolishness to what others believe around you. I love how 1 Corinthians put this where he says, God was pleased to reveal his wisdom through the foolishness of this world. God gets it. God knows it. Don't be surprised if you don't always fit in. Don't be surprised if you don't find yourself thinking the same way, valuing the same way, living the same way, understanding reality the same way, or sharing the same worldview as many of the people that you consider your closest family, friends, and acquaintances. God just has a different vibe about him. And so what we've been looking at this December and are going to be pushing on to even into the winter after the new year are just some of these core beliefs, these core ideas about God and even more specifically Jesus that are different than the way other people tend to approach him. So here's the one I want to hit today, and we're going to pop it on the screen. Brianna, go ahead and put that up for me, if you would. And that ancient statement of faith called the I Believe, or the Apostles' Creed, there's this line, and it simply says this, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Let me set it up and read the whole beginning of the paragraph to you. I believe in Jesus Christ. His, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Of all the things that you can say about Jesus, this is cool, but why, why hone in here? That's what I want to unpack with you today and hopefully in the process show you why those ancient believers found this to be so pivotal or so summary-oriented that it's like, this gotta be in there when we talk about what's different about Jesus. 
There are two things tucked in this phrase that if you take the time to look are right under the surface. And here they are. That Jesus is God and that Jesus is human. And that Jesus was both from his very conception. That from the beginning of his earthly existence, God, or rather Jesus, was God and Jesus was human. Not half God, not half human. Not 80% God and 20% human. Not 93.2% human and like whatever the rest of that would be God, right? Fully God and fully human. That just like a human, he was conceived, I was conceived, you were conceived, every human being that's ever existed was conceived. Jesus was conceived too. But by the Holy Spirit, there's something divine, something different, something out of the ordinary happening there. Do you see them shoving together? Conceived and yet born. I was born. You were born. Everyone who's ever existed has been born. Jesus was born too. And he was born of a woman named Mary. I was born of a woman named Janine. My daughter was born of a woman named Tina. I don't know who you were born of. I don't care. But you were born too, right? We're all born of someone, aren't we? Even if we don't know our birth mother, even if we've never had a chance to meet him, we were still nonetheless born of him. Jesus was born of a woman too. And yet... There's something different going on, something supernatural, if you will, something divine, born of a virgin. To my knowledge, that just doesn't happen very often. It's kind of weird, isn't it? And here in this opening phrase of the Apostles' Creed, what they're really just trying to shove together is this basic foundational idea that Jesus, from the beginning of his earthly existence, was fully God and fully human, divine and just like me and you in every conceivable way. Now, to a lot of us here, I know that doesn't sound very weird. It doesn't sound very weird because if you've grown up in a place like this, you've grown up hearing things like this, you've grown up being taught things like this, you've grown up with everyone around you having this worldview that of course Jesus is fully God and of course Jesus is fully human. What's weird about that at all? And I will just say to you, if it doesn't seem weird to you, praise God for your parents, praise God for your history, praise God. God for what he has revealed in your life over time, but also check yourself to see if all you spend your time with are people who think just like you. Because to most of the world, I would submit to you, this is a very weird thing to say. Because what we know when we step out of buildings like these is that people just aren't born that way. Virgins do not have babies, no matter what teenage girls have been telling their parents for the last 2,000 years. Are you with me? People are not conceived that way. God does not come upon people, nor does he send the stork. This is a very strange claim. 
that is very out of the ordinary, that makes no logical or scientific sense. And yet, from the beginning, believers have said, about Jesus, it's true. It might be weird. It might be strange. It might make no logical sense. It might be out of the ordinary. But that doesn't change the fact that it is true. Because what believers have seen from Jesus since the beginning things that he said about himself, things that he demonstrated in what he did, that this brother is God. But this brother is also a brother. He's also human, just like you and me. And here's why it's important. You want Jesus to be God and human. You need Jesus to be God and human because salvation itself depends on it. Let me unpack this and explain to you what I mean. The Christian worldview is that God in his glory and goodness made this world and made this world to be aligned with him. He made it good. Genesis will say it was very good, untainted by the corruption and wrongdoing and evilness that we as humans have seemed to just do a really good job of bringing in. That God made the way the world in a way it was supposed to be that is not the way it is right now. From the Christian worldview, very early on in time, humanity, maybe out of ego, maybe out of idiocy, maybe out of just a simple me first kind of rebellion with its creator, chose to go its own way, chose to defy the will of the creator. And in the process, entered into the world something called sin. That the world as we know it broke because of the rebellion that humanity brought in. And the brokenness is beyond anything that we can fix. I've met so many people who engage in a self-help program for their life, knowing that something is wrong inside and make these heroic efforts, and yet at the end of the day, cannot ultimately fix that which is broken within them. It doesn't matter how much money you spend on therapy. It doesn't matter how much you work on improving yourself. It doesn't matter how much you immerse yourself in, in ideas of better ways of living. There is something from a Christian perspective that is so broken within us and so broken around us that while we can seek to improve, we can never ultimately fix. And from a Christian point of view, this leaves us in a place of helplessness, of hopelessness. And what many people who have been honest about the process have discovered in themselves, even despair. Flailing before a brokenness that is bigger and stronger than anything they have the capacity to deal with. But see what the story of the Bible is. Is God not abandoning us to our brokenness? It's a story of God not abandoning us to sin. 
Even God being right to maybe do so or even judge us and punish us for the way that we've messed this up and so many people around us up. God chose instead to come down. The self-help program of life seeks to get up to God, but the Christian approach to life is that God comes down into the muck and mire of it. That God comes down exactly to where we are, to who we are in all of our brokenness and says, let me fix that. Let me forgive that. Let me carry you through that and let me give you a vision of a final work I will do when all of the things that we are powerless against and all the wrongs that we face will finally be made whole and right again. And I'll tell you that, there's a lot of strong people in this world. But from my experience, none have proven themselves strong enough yet to actually fix the human dilemma. To actually fix the brokenness of this world. Incredible strides have been made. We spend the better parts of our lives, don't we? And the better parts of history trying to improve the brokenness around us. Can I ask, is it fixed yet? If you're being asked with yourself, are you fixed yet? See, only God can do that. And what Christians have seen from the beginning is that Jesus is God. What no one else can do, Jesus can do. He alone has the ability to deal with the problem of sin and brokenness in this world. But it's even more than that. Because it's not just a condition we face. It's a punishment we deserve. We often don't think, I think, anymore about deserving punishment from God. It feels so like 19th century, doesn't it? The Bible says we do. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all merit his rightful condemnation. That because humanity sinned, humanity in some level has to pay the price for that sin. That's what justice is all about. That we should get what we deserve. And the Bible will talk about this. About what if someone who doesn't deserve to sin could take the punishment upon himself for us instead? I mean, it would suck for them, but that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And this is what the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was all about. Different beings laying down their lives to take the punishment of death upon them. And so for much of the Old Testament history in those parts of the Bible we never read, we see the priests of Israel sacrificing lambs, sacrificing goats, sacrificing pigeons, sacrificing cattle, right? All, all is an effort 
to see the price of sin placed upon something. But would you agree that you are, as Jesus would say, worth more than many sparrows? Worth more than many goats? Does a sheep have the same value as a human? And so what we see is that there's something where that which has sinned needs to bear the price. But how can one man alone bear the sin of the world? Logically, it would strike me that one man alone could bear the sin of one other man or one other woman, one for one. But what if God was to bear it? Would you argue that God is infinitely bigger, infinitely more powerful, infinitely more valuable than a human? Jesus needs to be God. Because if God does not give himself for the sins of the world, the ratio doesn't work. If Jesus is just a man, one for one. Who wants him? Boom. And the rest of us are out of luck. But if he's God, the ratio goes from one to one to infinite to one. You need Jesus to be God. You want Jesus to be God His followers came to understand why he needed to be God. Because if Jesus isn't God, there isn't enough being given for the sins of the world. But Jesus needs to be human too, because if he's not human, the very thing that deserves punishment is not getting the punishment taken upon him. He had to become like you and me. Because only when Jesus is human, only when God is human, can human pay the price for the sin that it deserves. And more than that, we can start to identify with a God who can start to identify with what it's like to be you and me. God is so other that he can be hard to relate to at times. But when I see God as a human... I can start to see what he's like. What makes him laugh? What's important to him? What he values? How he lives? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He is God and he is man. And so you see Jesus if you read the stories of the Bible, living out both to the full. You see within him phenomenal cosmic power. You see within him authority over heaven and earth. He drives out demons. He stills storms. He creates food at will. He pardons people of their sins. He reinterprets the very spoken words of God with the authority to do so. He acts like God himself. And yet, he gets hungry, shows weakness has to grow, and wisdom and stature can suffer and die. What we see in this little line is a placeholder for an entire world view of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because Christmas is not about a little baby laying in a manger. It's about God himself 
becoming a human being just like you and me. And by doing some, by doing so, someone that we can not only relate to, but someone who can save the world. And so this Christmas season, hear his invitation to come to him that way. Something more than a moral teacher, something more than an example to follow, something more than a philosopher or activist of his age. It's God in the flesh. Savior of the world for you and me. Conceived by God. Born of a woman. Divine and human. Right there. And it's weird. It's weird to many to be sure. Maybe it's weird to you. But never make the mistake of thinking that just because something is weird, that it isn't true.